What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the chatter. Special guest on the show in just a little bit. It's Patrick Coyne. He's turned in a really nice career in the world of fitness. Hoping to franchise one of his shops here pretty soon. We're getting into all that today on the chatter. Let's get into it. It's now time for the Real News Network with Chuck and four-time Emmy winner and the former blimp pilot for Midas Houdini. A stinky situation. Farting passenger on a plane allegedly causes the flight to turn around. That's coming up right now. Breaking on the Real News Network. This one's actually uh, pretty close to home. This one comes from Local 12. Have yet to read it. Was this in Cincinnati is the question. And unfortunately, it was not. It was in New York, so we can't blame the Skyline Breakfast. But here's the first line. A gassy man apparently caused a big stink aboard an American Airlines flight. This according to a viral social media post. One of the quotes, we all breathed a sigh of relief when he was removed. Let's start with that quote. Let's start with everything I just told you before we get into any more details. What are your thoughts of this? I got to I got to dive deeper into this story. I, I was in a group chat just laughing my ass off at some of the quotes that allegedly happened on this plane. This guy was just what was the the first thing? Yeah, one of the anonymous passengers that I overheard this this man, the the farter, the anonymous farter, overhear him loudly say, "Oh, you thought that was rude? Well, how about this smell?" And then ripped ass. <laughs> I don't know what provoked that comment or quote. I don't know what provoked that comment. And while kind of funny to overhear, it was uncalled for, especially coming from a grown man on an airplane. For a plane to turn around i'm assuming it wasn't due to the smell of the fart it had to have been to this guy's aggressiveness he was getting a little bit too out of control to the other passengers and probably to some of the workers on the plane about how bad his his ass smelled apparently he was grabbing people's heads and putting them towards his ass uh, and telling them to breathe in so no no that's not serious that's not serious is it <laughs> i may have exaggerated the last part but um this guy was out of control. Okay, I just can't imagine that a plane would, like the you go up to the pilot, like, sir, we have a disturbance in the back. And they're like, oh god, like what happened? Like what's going on? And they're like, a man, you know, he had Taco Bell before he got on. He, he cleared out the whole back like six aisles. And they're like, all right, immediate landing, like emergency landing now. I mean, it's it's outrageous. But I guess everybody was was happy to see him off the plane. He was just ripping ass on this plane and then telling everybody else they're rude as fuck. He's like, you're rude, you jackass. And then he has the audacity to yell at everyone for eating smelly food while he's just farting all over. I mean, I guess the question is, would you, if you were two hours into a flight to Austin, Texas, apparently this was Phoenix to Austin. Let's say you're like an hour in. I guess it's hard to say without being on the plane, but would you not rather them just, you just, put your head in your shirt and just finish off the plane rather than turning around and resetting the whole damn trip. Cause some guy can't control himself. Sounds like they just couldn't go on anymore. Like he was just this big of a jackass. The um, here's another quote. And I love how this article is calling him fart man. After they said, you're the rude one here. Fart man replies. That's just so low class. Another guy pops in and rebuttals. Well, you're back here in economy with the rest of us. Then it says people laughed. That's when the flight attendants reportedly intervened and said, that's enough to the man that passed the gas. Uh, soon there was an announcement on the plane that uh, everyone was returning to the gate. So everyone's like, you see what you just did, fart man? We have to turn this entire, it's like the, the Chris fart, I'll turn this damn bus around. That'll end your precious field trip. I mean... Uh, here's another quote. We get back to the gate and the flight attendant comes back and informs Fartman that he will not be staying on this flight. He simply replies, I don't understand. And she says, we'll talk about it off the plane. This speaks volumes of like, I'm, I'm 30 years old and I, I cannot contain my laughter thinking about this guy just farting up and down the plane. Farts still play. They're still funny. I don't know if it ever ends. Like, it'll never end for me. Like, this guy was a maniac menace farting up and down the american flight to austin texas I, we got to get this guy on the podcast i'd love to sit down with him and just really dig into kind of what he's all about because this guy was willing to remove himself from a flight because he wanted to stand up for what he believes in and that's farting all over the plane and then telling everyone else that they're rude as hell and on the way out smell you later folks 
there's something about the airport that brings it out of everybody. Like everyone is on edge. That's where you see the most blow ups. And I've, I've kind of always wanted to be like on a plane where somebody goes like does something insane, like the viral plane lady. No, everybody on my plane, like on my flights have just been very calm, very normal. Maybe a guy reclines his seat a little bit too far than, you know, what is uh, humane, I would say. But other than that, I, I think the airport, because, dude, you're constantly in a rush. You're, you're, you're anxious the whole time. You're trying to get to the from point A to point B. You got to get to your gate. You got to get through TSA. Everyone's pissed off. Their flight's delayed. And I think it just bubbles up into people that they, they kind of lose their, their minds completely. And then if you throw in a couple of termy beers, a couple, you know, a 10, if you're delayed for two hours, some guys get hammered, some chicks, and start saying just wild off-the-wall stuff. I think that's the science behind why you see these people. This probably would happen to Fart Man, you know? He probably got delayed a couple times and was said, I've had enough. I've had it once, man. I got on the plane. Five minutes later, someone starts acting up, and we haven't gotten off the ground yet. They eventually come back to his seat, and they say, sir, you got to go. And that's where he started apologizing. He's like, no, no, I'll be good. I'll be good. It's like he was trying to, you know, call their bluff and like, no, you got to go. And he's like, no, 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 I'll be good. This is after he was just cursing people out, going nuts. And they're like, the realism of it sunk in. And he realized like, no, I got to be somewhere. I got a work meeting in the morning. I was just having some fun cocktail shots with these people I met from New Hampshire. I can't get off this plane. And they're like, no, sir, you got to go. You just called the flight attendant an asshole. Like we don't allow that here. Oh. Said, no, no. It was uh, it was one of the great things I've seen in my life. Um, how about this one now? On a plane, have you done this before? Where you have your luggage, you have your backpack on, um, phones in your left hand. You may have some chow mein in your right. Terrible thing to bring on a plane, by the way. Very tough to eat. Anyways, you're walking down the aisles. It's way too small. They need to give you more wiggle room. You're walking down the aisles. You walk past your seat. Rarely happens. But every once in a while, you just walk three things past your seat, three aisles past your seat. You turn around, and there's a stampede coming at you. And you just have to wait in the back with the flight attendant for like five minutes, looking like a jackass with all your luggage. Have you ever experienced that? That's brutal. Sounds like something you probably do quite a bit, but I've done it. I haven't, I don't think I've ever done it where I just miss my, I'm usually pretty locked in checking the numbers. Like, where is my seat? I'm very locked in on that. Sometimes you have to put your bag, though, all the way in the back because they don't have any carry-on space at the top or whatever. They make those like the shot, like a six inches wide, and they're they're always shocked. They're like, I, we have too many carry-ons. So sometimes I've had to do that where you have to sit um, in the – you have to go all the way to the back of the plane even to get back up. So you sit back there like in the toilet area and wait your turn. So I, I've, I've dealt with what you dealt with, Chuck. It's happened. Have you heard of Uncle Chin before? Does this name ring a bell? Uncle Chin? Yes. So I got uh, I got some uncles with big chins, but no, I don't think we've ever nicknamed them that before. So no, please tell me. All right. So he's a Chinese man who chain smoked his way through a marathon and then was disqualified for smoking on the course. Uncle Chin has puffed cigarettes during past marathons saying it helps him relieve fatigue. And they said, no, we're taking away your medals. I was going to say, I thought this was America, but it sounds like it's China, right? First off, I'm just thinking like the 1960s, how perfect would this guy have been for like parliament for a commercial? It's like, I'm the, I'm the best marathon runner in the, in, in my country. And I he ran it in three hours and 33 minutes. The marathon prohibits open defecation, trampling on flower beds what? or green spaces and smoking. Uh, three very different things. The smoking, it's not a performance enhancing drug. You would think he'd be okay. It helps with fatigue. He gained internet fame two years ago when he was running a race with a cigarette in his mouth, and uh, he placed 574th out of 1,500 runners in the marathon. So they're not taking away his medals. He finished 574th. He may finish in the top 10 if he stopped smoking so damn much. The rules committee, like when they met, they were probably like, are you – they had to have an emergency meeting about banning cigarettes during marathons. I mean, they never thought that was coming, right? I mean, that is – it's the last thing you would think. I mean, I guess uh, you said they banned open defecation. Do you, I don't know if you saw the one with the the speed walker in the Olympics that just the guy just shit his pants 
and he just kept walking with shit just coming down his legs the entire time. He was just ripping through this race. So I guess uh, that guy can't be running any marathons. That's probably why he does a speed walking one. But uh, interesting, interesting stuff. Wow. That guy, um, first he embarrassed himself in front of thousands of people and then had his uh, – had his participation taken away. He crossed the finish line. He said, I did it. I finished my first marathon. And rules and regulations came over and said, no, actually, you defecated, sir. You're out of here. Get up the laundromat. See ya. How about the over-under game, Houdini? This is a good one. Set an over-under for things that you can eat. Simple game. Let's start with, um, I want to start with something that I feel like I could eat a lot of. And see if I can take you down in this. Let's start with glazed donuts. How many glazed donuts do you think you're setting the line on if your life was on the line and someone sat you down and said, look, and I often think about this, you know, these situations. Sir, if you don't eat XYZ amount of donuts, you're gone. Everyone you love is gone. You got to be a hero here. What's that number that you think you could potentially get to? Over 24 hours, right? No, one sitting. 30 minutes. Oh, one sitting? 30 minutes. Oh, well, Jesus. This this drops the number significantly. Uh, it's about 10. 13 and a half to, to 15 and a half if my life depended on it. Big glazed donuts. 15 and a half in 30 minutes? My ass, dude. Yeah, right. My life's on I the line. You said an hour. My life's All on right, the line. Yeah, if my life was on the line, sure, sure. Well, that's the game. I mean, that's the over-under that- game. I could do 15 if I, if I if I had a loaded gun to my head I would be able to eat 15 in 30 minutes. Would I puke maybe? All right, Did this game see, sucks. Just, We're switching segments. The over under game is dead. We need new segment ideas. Over under, you're not going to be like the MySpace top 5 and be a staple on this show. That segment sucked. Anyways, I had some thoughts about the um college basketball landscape as a whole. Nowadays, I watch college basketball, and back in the Big East, when Cincinnati played in it, you'd watch Louisville-Cincinnati, and you'd recognize all those names. Francisco Garcia, Taquan Dean, uh, Terrence Williams, uh, Peyton Siva, whoever it may be. There were villains on other teams. And you say, well, yeah, that's Louisville, big-time rival. Notre Dame, Luke Herringody, Kyle McElarney, Jack Cooley. Um, Pittsburgh, LeVance Fields, Sam Young, Dewan Blair, you know, you knew like four or five guys on the opposite team. Why is it that nowadays you watch your favorite team play, the game ends, and you're like, I don't know one player on that other team. Cincinnati just lost to Oklahoma a couple days ago. Top 20 team in the country. I finished that game and did not recognize one name from the other team, process one name, know who beat us, it was just like I'm laser focused on my team at all times. Is that age? Is that like what is this? I do think a lot of it has to do with just the the landscape of how college is now. Because all of you'll you'll check uh, you know Kentucky's roster and they will have eight new players. Duke's roster, seven new guys. UConn. All these teams are shuffling people in and out. They're transferring back and forth. And I think it's hard to to build a brand and. And probably actually a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're not getting four-year studs anymore. The, the All the superstars are gone after a year, and they don't have the chance to develop into the, you know, the, the Perry Ellis's of the world at Kansas, right? We all knew Perry Ellis. I feel like that's the last guy I remember that didn't play for UC. I don't even – could you even name, if you had to guess, who's going to win – who's going to be All-American, first-team All-American this year? I could give you like Zach Eady and maybe Dickinson. And then outside of that, maybe the, the kid from Kansas, the other kid, McCullough. Yeah, and then I can name you, and then we could turn around and name you like the entire 2005. You know, we could be like, oh, uh, 2005, let's go with Rashad McCants. Let's go with um, Raymond Felton was probably there. Let's go with Andrew Bogut. You know, you can name all these guys back in the day. When I was younger, I was dumber. But even like our, our rivals, even like Xavier. It just doesn't hit the same way it used to. You know, I don't hate them nearly as much. I don't even know anyone on their team outside of two, three players. It didn't used to be that way. You knew every player on the roster. You hated them. um, And it was every team in conference. And one of these days, one of the days in the past, I don't know when it was, it just flipped. And you just are laser focused on your team. You're bantering about your team to your friends at all times. And it's never like, oh, that other guy on the team killed us today. 
you just watch the game so much differently. And maybe that's just me. No, I, th- I think you're right. Um, maybe it's turned a little bit more into the baseball realm where it's like everybody knows, like I know all the Reds players, unless you're a diehard MLB guy. I don't know, literally, I don't even know a single player on like the Tampa Bay Rays. I have no fucking clue. Um, and I, I think that's safe to say for a large majority of people that watch the Reds. Maybe that's happening to college basketball. And again, I think it's because the teams change every year. It's impossible to keep up. You got the JUCO transfers, the NIL stuff. I think the biggest difference is now we're worried about cold plunge. We're worried about a podcast. There's just so much going on in adulthood to where you, you feel like it's an era thing. But I bet if we you know, quiz some of the 12-year-olds out there that, that love college basketball, and even some of the grown men out there that live for college basketball, they may be able to name the starting five for MSU. But I could do it in like 2007. I could do it in like 2013. I'll throw out my Drew Neitzels. I'll throw out my Shannon Browns, my Maurice Agers. You know, like I still love college basketball equally. I still know everyone on my team just like I used to back in the day. It was just like the landscape of the league is, is different now. And I don't know if it's just there's so much more that we're worrying about as adults. And it's just like I don't really give a shit about Marquette's starting five. But um, I don't know. I can't be the only one out there that feels this way. It's early. It's early in the season. Maybe we'll know all these teams by heart uh, come March. All right, we got a very special guest on the chatter today. Uh, The owner, the founder of Contrast Studio and Black Sheep in the city of Cincinnati, a former Bearcat, I believe recruited by Butch Jones, played for Tommy Tuberville. We'll get into that in a little bit. Really good football player, had a modeling stint that we'll get into, but it all started for him at St. Bart's, and he has a story that uh, he he doesn't know about, but I'm about to give it to him right here, right now. First time I was ever introduced to Patrick Coyne, and and welcome to the show, by the way. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, fellas. I appreciate it. So the St. Bart's story, um, I think we were in like the fourth grade. We're playing St. Bart's. Patrick Coyne is on the other team. On the other team, shooting free throws, nails one. We get back to the huddle. Our coach is going nuts on everyone um, for not playing good defense whatsoever. But they get to our big man. They say, you're okay. That kid on the other team, whatever number you were, that kid's in fourth grade, and he's got a full set of armpit hair underneath there and biceps on him and everything. But that's Pat Coyne. I still man, got when, the armpit hair, puberty? if you guys are wondering. I still got the armpit hair. I hit puberty probably in around that time. I remember being um, actually in a gym class and like taking my shirt off and kids are like staring at me. Like, what are you guys looking at? You're like, you got armpit hair. That was kind of the first time that I knew I was going to be a, you know, an early bloomer and a kind of a peak guy, kind of peak early. So uh, yeah, young. I've had a beard since eighth grade. I I did not for those wondering. It took me till about uh, 22 to get a full beard going. But speaking of, you know, our early memories just from a, a background standpoint i think the first time i i met you if you don't remember this we went to your house it was like summer going into you were like you know four-star recruit at uh the scholarships i hadn't met you yet i went with a couple of the uc guys that summer we go to your house yeah i remember that like, yeah. our call and you were like yo we're outside we're like yo we're outside we can't we can't get a hold of you but we hear music blaring so we're like all right we go like we're with kevin Highland. we go downstairs open like the back room and you're shrugging like 9,000 pounds in a gym in your base. You're like, Oh, what's up fellas. And I'm like, Holy shit, here we go. We immediately go outside. You got a football. You're like, you know how to run a quick slant. I was like, I sure do. You're like, go. And you rifle one, I think 10,000 miles an hour. I think my hands are still broken from the, you said where I went wrong and you've kind of noted that I've read some articles over the years where you, you mentioned mm-hmm. that about your football career. Obviously you were highly touted. Dude, I had three snaps at the university of Cincinnati uh, quarterback and I had maybe eight to 10 special teams and I really didn't play much. And you know, people were just like, yo, I found out you didn't play. It's like, I don't hide behind that. I'm not scared of that. Um, if you hung out with me in college, it's pretty easy to put two and two together on why I didn't play. I really like the party. Um, I really like to have a good time. And unfortunately, and I don't mean this in a cocky way, I was very physically gifted. Um, workouts came very easy to me, throwing football came easy, running, cutting, all those things. And I didn't pay attention to the back end of football. And, you know, when I transferred to Indiana State, Tuberville moved me to running back. And it sold me on, like, the Taysom Hill pipe dream, which I loved, uh, like the Toby Gerhardt thing at Stanford. Gunnar Kilcup came in, and we moved to a – 
true pro style. They put me in the I formation, and God knows I couldn't block a mic in an ISO. So that didn't last very long and um, got beat out by a guy named Jerry Golden, who was really good at what he did. The dude is a freight train, still a buddy of mine today. He's in the Marines. Um, and I ended up transferring. Just thought I'd give it one more shot because I did have a lot of potential. Transferred to State, um, started two games there. Uh, meniscus surgery, another concussion. And honestly, I was on the borderline of getting medically disqualified. Um, you know, I can't hide behind that it was 100% medically disqualification. Some call it the golden ticket. It's where you can stay on scholarship. And honestly, I was kind of just burnt out. And that was that was it. You said that you loved the game, but didn't respect it. What do you mean by that? Like, mm-hmm. how do you, you know, because those two typically, I feel like, correlate together. You said you mentioned burnout. If you love something, you know, like, how do you burn out? Take me through that kind of process in your mind. Well, I think love and respect are, they run parallel, but they never intersect, right? So um, I love, love the game of football. I still do. It's my life. I still live in I train dudes every day in football, and they make a lot of money doing it. They do. Um, but the respect of the game is that talent can only get you so far, and there are some physical freaks that got by on talent, but that does not happen at the quarterback position. And the guys that you see on Sunday, yeah, he's a physical freak. Lamar Jackson runs 4-4. He doesn't know defense. That's not true at all by any means. Um, and by the time I learned the back end of the game and started to respect it and really get into game planning and, and researching and, and studying defense, the injuries caught up to it. And, you know, by the time I was done, I, I, the kind of the fight and the drive to make the NFL was done. It really was. Um, and I always had a calling. I always loved working out. And I ended up dropping out of college. That was it. I just wasn't good to the game. Yeah, and then the game was very good to me. And. I just wasn't good to it. I, I, you can't go out four nights a week and, and, and started a big East program, buddy. It just doesn't work that way. And if you did shout out to you, shout out to you. It did yeah, not work I mean, for me. Shout out to Clifton though. There were, there was some good times within those four days a week that we were, you know, bouncing around Unfor- I didn't really play <sighs> any collegiate sports, so it didn't really affect me too yeah. much, but um, you know, we, we, we had some good times out there when I was visiting, but to kind of pivot to um, cause you've tr- a lot of people, and I respect the hell out of you for it, a lot of people say they're going to do a bunch of shit and never really even attempt thing, or if they fail at one thing, they stop, you know, dead in their tracks. Mm-hmm. And because I remember really early, you wanted to do something along these lines as far as kind of the workout, um, you know, athletics, trainings, things like that. But you tried, and Chuck had mentioned it, you had tried quite a few different things. I know um, mm-hmm. you were doing the modeling thing. I saw you in a couple Speedos on Instagram from time to time. Looked like a Jack Tan Channing Tatum. Looked like a jack pay them bills, baby. He got to pay them bills. Personal training at that time didn't pay oh, I know. the bills. I, I, listen, nobody was paying me to get in a speedo. That's really the issue and why I never <laughs> went down that venture. Um, but and you were kind of going bodybuilding for a second, from what I recall, with kind of the Savage Fitness was mm-hmm. more of the the bodybuilding type. When did you decide to transition more to like functional? athletic training and kind of seems like that's kind of where your niche is now and obviously you've had a ton of success doing it when did that kind of change for you um i always did it so not a lot of people know i started i dropped out of college at 21 um and started my first company a lot of people made fun of me for it you know i'm a i'm a pretty easy target you know now that i've found some success but i'm very vocal i'm very driven and i'm outspoken about what i believe in so when you're younger, it's an, it's a very easy target to pick on the dude who's trying to do something with himself. And then now people turn around and fast forward and now they ask for advice and it's okay. I've always been an entrepreneurial spirit, but um, I started at 21, um, started training athletes outside at a place called Evolution Fitness and Kings. Um, started working with some athletes. I worked with DJ Woods. Uh, we would did some quarterback and receiver training, some skill training and stuff like that. And man, I just fell in love with it. It made me remember where I went wrong in the game and just focusing on the X's O's, focus on the process of things. And I fell in love with it. So I actually moved to Colorado, work with a guy named Matt McChesney at Six Zero Strength. Um, he's got a great business. He's gone viral multiple times because the way he yells at kids. Um, but a lot of NFL guys uh, made a connection with a guy named Mark Shalera, who you guys know is Stink. Um, got to work with him and train him and meet his kids and, and kind of o- open. I was being able to put in rooms where I didn't really belong. Um, and I kind of figured out how to network with people and some things happen that, you know, they're under the bridge, so I don't really want to talk about, but um, with me and Matt, and I went to Lando Performance, and that's where my mind got blown. So Lauren Lando is my first mentor. So Christian McCaffrey, Peyton Manning, Brian Dawkins, TJ Dillasaw, Olympian skiers, 
I saw it at a very high level and I'm like, all right, this is what I want to do. And again, the same thing in football, you know, the same, like the Hindu saying, samsara is the wheel of suffering. Like you make the mistake and don't fix it. It's going to slap you in the ass again in a year. So I got big clients. Um, I got a lot of news anchors and things in Denver, a couple pro athletes. Devere Posey started working with me when he worked with the uh, play for the Broncos. And I kind of got called out on legitimacy. And, you know, instead of staying there and fighting and learning, I ran. Um, so I was like, screw it. Training's not it. Running away from legitimacy and just kind of leaning into the TV modeling and all that. I was like, screw it. I know that <laughs> not to sound shallow, but I'm in good shape and, you know, I can get paid money for that. And, I've always lifted weights, didn't play football. So I want to make money off my body versus like, that sounds kind of prostitution, but I wanted to make money off of, you know, lifting weights. I really wanted to. And, you know, the only route is, is modeling. So I moved to Miami beach with my now wife, uh, Cassidy. She, we knew each other for like 90 days. She moved with me to Miami, um, and got into bodybuilding, realized there was no real market and it gets very, uh, I don't want to get into details, but it gets very weird, very quick in bodybuilding. That weirded me out. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to lose all my weight and get into runway modeling and um, like magazine covers and things like Under Armour, Nike. And I got to work with Adidas and different things like that. That was cool. Um, and then I kept losing weight and losing weight and losing weight so I could do runway because that's where the big money was. Got to a big shoot with Versace and they wanted me to do some weird things and I wasn't willing. Um so I packed my ass up, took a loan out from my grandparents and moved back to Cincinnati and uh, started Black Sheep. So going from Black Sheep, you have a ton of success there, training athletes. We can talk more after this is off and I'll tell you guys some funny stories. I would love that. I would love that. Um, but you go from Black Sheep and like now Contrast door. Studio. And Contrast Studio is something that we wanted to talk a lot about because Houdini and oh, I listened to your last episode about cold showers, buddy. I'm, I'm ready. So here we go. Oh, let's go. Here we go. Cold showers suck, Patrick. But here's the deal. Yes, they do. Here's the deal. As long as you do a cold plunge in a health center or anywhere where there's a hot tub near it, a steam room near it, a sauna near it, and you know after that five minutes of numbing yourself and spiritually connecting and everything that that gives you, you can get into a steam room, I'm all for it. I did it last week at Lifetime, actually. Um, one of these days. You're doing it opposite, though. You're doing it the wrong way. Okay, so we'll get into that in, in just a in second. We we'll we'll get into in. that in just a second. But the people, the sociopaths out there, are the ones that are doing the the cold showers at home before work mm -hmm. and getting out shivering as it's five degrees outside, and the people that are putting ice in like one of those tins and doing that yeah. outside and then just walking in like nothing happened. That to me is a little bit crazy. But what I'm you one do, of those sociopaths, baby. What you do at Contrast Studio, that to me is very exciting. Give me the lay of the land. Mm -hmm. How do we get into this? Yeah, so both of you guys, next time you're in town, go ahead and come in uh, our satellite location. So long story short, I'll tell you guys how I got into it first. It's a funny story. My client, Kirk Herbstreet, my guy, um, everyone knows him for being on TV. He's really that good of a dude. I've been with him for three years now. And uh, I was, I mean, being an entrepreneur is not easy, dude. It's very, very hard. And um, I was running a growing business and it was, you know, 16 hour days, six days a week. And I was starting to burn out. And I talked to Kirk. I'm like, hey, man, like, how do you do this? Like, you're a very, very successful dude, but you run, your schedule's crazier than mine. How do you have so much energy? And he's like, well, you know, I really like cold plunging. All right. And I've heard about it, blah, blah, blah. I go to his house in Indian Hill and jump in the sauna and then jump in the plunge. And two weeks later, I'm like, man, I feel incredible. I feel amazing. And I'll get into why the science behind it. But I Google and I'm like, you know, plunges. I'm like, Kirk, I love you, buddy, but I'm tired of using your house. Like, I don't want to just walk in and you're having coffee with your wife and I'm screaming in the back porch, freezing my balls off. Uh, so I just Googled plunge and sauna in Cincinnati. Nothing came up. And I'm like, all right, plunge in Ohio. Nothing plunge and sauna in the midwest nothing plunge and sauna in the country there was two franchises that were doing something similar but not exactly what we're doing we've actually kind of shifted the culture in the country of what people do and how they view it because our success so fast and um i brought it to my uh business partner and friend chris chicanelli who owns pure romance a lot of people know what pure romance is yes it is a, a sex toy oh, hell yeah company and he, he is uberly successful um a true international businessman and uh, brought him the idea. He loved it. Uh, we went half and half on it. And we filled up our first location in Montgomery. Uh, we have 20 more slots and we've been open since October. We signed a lease in Hyde Park and signed a lease in Anderson. 
we'll go 10 locations and then we'll franchise it out and be the franchise work. Yeah, I'll, I'll just get like a little stand outside and I'll be selling dildos and whatnot and see if anybody uh, bites. We'll see. You can so, make some good money on it. As far as, <laughs> I mean, this guy, you guys know what you're doing. So you had mentioned, and I'm going to backpedal a little bit, um, Kirk Herbstreet. So just so that people know, the Black Sheep performance, some pretty high-profile guys have come through the door. You know, the likes of Joe Shiesty, Joe Burrow. Um, there's the list goes on. Kirk Herbstreet. Um, now I'm blanking on the damn names that uh, Coin trained right now live. Sam Hubbard, yeah, and Hubbard, I think, is uh, with you on this studio as well, kind of uh, working with you as well. Mm-hmm. First off, how did you know the the first break come with getting kind of one of those high profile guys into the gym? The first big break, I think. So I worked with, I probably trained eight to ten NFL guys um, in different professional sports, in the likes of Denver and Miami, back and forth, um, just because of who I mentored under as a big name, and people were curious if I had the same intangibles as him. In Cincinnati, um, kind of a crazy story. If you guys remember Marcus Rush, who went to Moeller, went to Michigan State, played seven years in the NFL. Of course. Great guy. Freak. Yeah, great guy. Um, He was training D linemen at Black Sheep Performance in our old gym before I had expanded. And um, he brought Sam in. And I was training um, Cortez. uh, I was training Cortez Broughton, who's a UC Bearcat, played for the Chargers. Um, I was training him. He was watching me train. And he was like, he walked up to me. He's like, hey, man, I just finished my rookie season. You know, you're taking on clients. I watched your session. I'd be interested. And um, he never left. We're about to enter our sixth offseason together. Um, we're about to also expand my gym to 25,000 feet together. And uh, it's a very, very, very good friend. I was over at his house, you know, helping him out in his cast last Friday night. So with him, he introduced me to the Bosa brothers, Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas, like, Carl Lawson, Jonah Williams, you know, over COVID, we had 52 NFL guys in the gym, freaks. And, you know, I got to go on some cool trips with Sam and train some good guys. And then all of a sudden, Joe gets drafted to Cincinnati, and uh, I get a call. And it was always my dream to train a Heisman Trophy winner in a first-round draft pick. And, you know, his agent calls and is like, hey, man, listen, this is what I need. This is what I want. And I heard you're the guy. And it's just word of mouth at the highest level. You never market yourself to other pro athletes. It only comes from reference of other pros. And Joe shows up the next day, and I work with him for um, the first year before his rookie season. Didn't have a bad rookie season. So um, that I that turned into I got a, uh, I wonder who his trainer was. Like, obviously, he had a trainer as a kid and everything. It happened to be Ohio University's Houdini. Shout out to Bobcats. Oh, but OU's – and Chuck, okay, my bad, Chuck. But so OU's head strength coach, Dak Nostein, was there. He trained um, Jimmy Burrow, great guy, Joe's dad, was a defensive coordinator at OU. He started working with Dak when he was 14. Joe, who was OU's strength coach. So when Joe was done after his rookie year, he was like, hey, I want to work at Black Sheep again. Would you care if my trainer comes? And I'm like, who's your trainer? He's like, Dak Nostein, but he needs a job. He can't only work with me. Um, so I met with Dak and – Basically took him from OU, gave him a huge raise from what he was getting at OU, and um, he's now my director of performance going on year three. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, shout out OU. Yeah, so shout out OU. You're so stealing Dak was our strength time, so though, da- man. I, I got to do what I got to do, man, for the city. Damn. But, uh, I'm, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> but um, so Joe's trainer is Dak Nodestein. I trained Joe for the first year and then brought on Dak. Um, because Joe's a very interesting guy. He likes what he likes and loves Dak. And, uh, yeah, it's a great relationship. Yeah, He's the in plan there is someday. The Golden Goose, uh, we have two of them, Matthew McConaughey being one. Someday maybe we'll get okay. him on. Uh, we just have to go to his alma mater in Texas and talk about how I lame. actually know McConaughey's trainer. Okay. Uh-oh. All right, networking. This you is networking, Coin. This is how the big breaks Mark are made. Mark Magna but- Anatomy 1220 in Miami Beach works with uh Walbert or um uh McConaughey sorry I've been driving a Lincoln since long before anybody paid me to drive one I didn't do it to be cool I didn't do it to make a statement I just liked it okay so we'll, we'll work on McConaughey saying that coin sent me. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Burroughs, the golden goose in the, in the sports world someday. Cause we're going to talk Athens. We're not even going to talk. Big. I will tell you right now. He will not do it. Yeah. No I what know. Money you throw at him. Yeah. He he's done what two, man. He's 
I think yeah, he did like part of my take and he did like the Nelk boys, right? He did uh he actually did the Bob uh, Sunday conversation at Black Sheep. So he made I met Caleb Pressey, good guy. Um, oh yeah. So uh the Sunday conversation actually came to the gym because he was like, If you're doing it, you're coming to me and I'm at the gym, so I'll see you there. And he's comfortable in the gym. We you know we have cops actually patrolling when he's in there. Um, because when he first started with me, there was people showing up and waiting, driving down hours. It was it was not good. And like right after he tore his ACL, there's people waiting on the parking lot and he's like crutching in as fast as he can get into the gym and they're hounding him. So now we have a relationship with the Blue Ash PD that they patrol when he's in the gym. I'm just envisioning Houdini and myself walking in with all the, the podcast equipment for a little on-site visit. The cops tackling us like, who do you know? No, we're trying to get in with Burrow. But yeah, uh, good to know up front that that's not happening. We won't try. We'll just uh, keep working at McConaughey and his trainer. He, but on the he, last he's show, a good dude, man. And may, maybe I can get a quote for you guys. I'll text Joe and see if I can get a quote. If you ask him a question, I'll get the question to him. Okay, yeah, we are trying to figure out what his favorite um, what his favorite sandwich place was in Athens, Ohio. So maybe we can figure that Te- out. Text and, me uh, what you want. I'll shoot it to him, and I'll send you the message tonight. Perfect. Ask Burrow. New All segment. <laughs> New segment. Uh, one of the segments we had at the MySpace Top 5, we talked about the uh, hardest workouts to us in history. I had some good mm-hmm. ones, like slow-motion pull-ups, six-count down, six-count up, eccentric. eccentric. pull-ups up, yep. Yeah, yep. I had the uh, the Bring Sally Up song. Uh, I'm sure you've done that, where you you know hold with yep. the um, isometrics on the bottom. It's like two minutes and thirty seconds. That's brutal. Houdini was just standard, Moby. like yeah. Houdini was just like standard lunges and Bulgarian goblet squats, whatever squat. it may be. To you, Bulgarians suck. Bulgarians suck, dude. They be do suck. The right but way, to suck. you, the hardest workout in history, um, whether it was something like personally you've seen, or what I make people do. I would say personally, the hardest workout you've ever done at UC or in your fitness day or your modeling days, I should say, whatever the hardest thing you took, ever did was to add to the MySpace steroids. top five. I took five. steroids. I worked out hard, but I took steroids. Um, <laughs> Breaking. It's <laughs> a good workout. Yeah. Every, not when I was in college, but everyone always claims all this fitness influencer bullshit that they're natural and it really upsets me. But that's another story. Um, Coin, so have you seen – sorry to cut you off. Have you seen The Reacher on Amazon? I have seen Reacher, yeah. That guy claims he's natural. Is that bullshit? That's got to be the most bullshit but, I've ever seen, buddy, right? It's not even close. Okay. And I, I can give you guys some tips. So one is the complexion of the skin, so it ups your red blood cell count, so your test is high, so your skin is red as shit. Two is the density of your skin, and basically it gets really lean and like shark skin to where veins pop out that never have before. And listen, you cannot put 30 pounds of muscle lean mass on in six months without gear. And I don't look down upon it, but just be honest about it. You know, there's guys in the league that take it. There's guys that, you know, claim natural and sell and make $10 million off poor, innocent people that think they can look like them with their stupid ab routine. But um, it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. All right. Thank God. But so okay. I'm like, God, I go, to the, I go to the gym, you know, a decent amount and I can't put on any goddamn muscle. And it's because I'm not on the you gotta come to, Maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get on steroids. You got you to gotta, you gotta come to Black Sheep, bro. You're in the city and haven't even come see me or the or Contrast. So, Daniel, I'm kind of hurt. I, you know what? I need to. How far is that damn drive? You're out, it's hey, out in Blue te- Ash te- for those te- who don't know. Teffy T. Teffy T's in there two days a week, baby. Oh, Mel Teffer. Is yeah, he? yeah. Our uh, NFL analyst, our producer. Um, but long, long story short, probably, so if you guys remember, um, I came into UC at like 240 pounds. I was a, I was too big and, uh, I missed weight my second weigh in. So I had to lose a pound a week till I got to 225. I used to drink Bud Heavies back in the day before I found tequila and a, tequila and a nice cab. Um, so I used to pack on LBs every can I drank and, uh, I missed weight. And I had to stay after a grueling workout, and this is no bullshit. I did 225, 20 sets of 20 on my back. So back squat, 225, 20 sets of 20, it took me four hours. So I was doing reps of one. So say like the 10th set, I was doing 20 individual reps. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're like, Cohen, you're dragging ass the next day of practice. I'm like, well, coach, I can't fucking feel my legs. I can't move. So I was sore for three weeks from that. Um, we used to do 100-yard prowler races, which were grueling. Um, like literally pushing a sled 100 yards doesn't mean uh, the human body is not meant to reach that capacity. So that sucked. 
Um, what else did I do? Modeling, um, losing. I lost 80 pounds of muscle and got off steroids to do runway. So I used to do two hours in the morning on the treadmill um, on incline uh, running. And then in the afternoon, I would put a hoodie and sweatpants on and do sprints on the beach. And I was completely out of it because I wasn't eating food and would have to text my wife where I was in Miami to come get me and drop a location. So um, you know, I've been putting myself through hell for a little bit. So till I found out what real training is and you, you get smart. You just get smarter as we get older. But I make these NFL so dudes do some you don't have to stuff. Do, you don't have to do four hours straight of squats to attain your goals? No, you're actually overtraining and really, really doing some bad things to your nervous system to where it could cause some bad hormone damage and different things like that. So, yeah, not smart. Yeah, I stuck to the Wendler yeah, 100 last night. I don't know if you've heard of this one, but uh, another friend of the program, Alex Fine, um, he put this workout program together. And the Wendler 100, you put a 45-pound plate on the bench press and you do 100 reps in as few sets as possible. Last night it took me like – I racked it probably six times, uh, six minutes or whatever. I mean, for you, that's easy after doing that squat challenge. But for the regular human beings out there, in terms fitness-wise, uh, that's that's pretty difficult to do. So I'll give myself a pat on the back for that one. Uh, that's the impressive. 100, that's impressive. So I think the hardest thing that I make the NFL do is it's called anaerobic capacity or Metcon, metabolic conditioning. So basically, I either I make them do nasal breath only put water in their mouth so they can't open their mouth so they can only nasal breathe so it ups your heart rate twice as fast because you can't inhale or exhale through your mouth um so there's less oxygen in the body which makes it harder but you know whether that's repeat sprints whether that's repeat on the echo bike repeats on the the rower the skier med ball slams um you know we'll do grappling and hand-to-hand -hand combat you know for 15 to 25 seconds where you're only breathing through your nose and you feel like your body's going to explode from the inside so you know, when you're getting these dudes ready for, you know, 90 snaps a game, which Sam does not take plays off, does not take snaps off, even though we drafted Murphy for him to take snaps off, still didn't do it. Um, you got to get these guys ready. And it's uh, it's pretty intense when these guys are making the money they are and how hard you have to train them. When you played for the Love Bearcats, there you, we go. There we go. you overlapped with uh, Travis Kelsey for at least a year. What was he like yeah. as a teammate? Overall, great guy, high energy guy. Um, much more personable than you would think, um, was willing to give time to people who in most locker rooms, guys I played with would never give the time of day. You know, he's talking to kids who would never sniff, you know, anything but the inside of a locker room. And that guy would always give time of day, would always sit down and eat with you in the cafe, would always invite everyone over for a party or come to our party. So, I mean, very personable guy. And, you know, sometimes the chips fall where they may and, um, the universal line with Travis, man. And, God knows the history now. Did you see any sort of success like this coming? Because he was a good player in college. Don't get me wrong. One um, of those tight ends to come through UC, but this. Towards the end of his career, man, and like I said, like I didn't play as much as I'd like, um, but my ability was always there. Um, and there was just things he could do with the ball in his hand that if we're talking basketball, um, Travis understands basketball and zone coverage very well. Understanding how to use his body as leverage. Travis really doesn't have a route tree. He finds open zones. If Travis is a man, he's not as good. Doesn't mean he's not a Hall of Famer. He would still be in the Hall of Fame if he only played him in man coverage. But would he be the best tight end today without his ability with Mahomes and in zone coverage? I don't think so. I still think he'd be great. I still think he's all pro. But now, I mean, arguably the best tight end to ever put on a helmet. It's a legitimate argument, and a lot of people would agree with me um, that he is the best, but just an innate ability to get open and find space with guys who don't understand what zone coverage is, man. It's it's a talent. It's I don't know if it's his basketball IQ. I don't know if it's him playing quarterback, but, man, can he, he just gets open. He's just open, and he's slippery. And, yeah, dude, he was doing things. Like I remember at UConn, we had a play. Um, it was a Big East championship my redshirt freshman year. And we ran a backside screen. I can't remember the name of the play, but quarterback rolls right. Tight ends on the nub. There's no receiver outside. It's a trip set to the right. The whole offensive line blocks down, and he flips and catches the pass, and there's a DB in front of him. He doesn't run him over. He gives him a little juice, and he's 82 yards down the sideline. And I'm just like, did anyone just did anyone just see that? Did anyone just witness what he really just did? And that's kind of when I was like, this dude's going to make money. This dude's good. Um, did I ever think he was going to be the best tight end ever? 
not a chance. I thought he was going to be really, really good, make a substantial amount of money. Um, but, man, did he get lucky with his quarterback, too. And his quarterback is the best at escaping the pocket and finding people open in zone coverage. So, perfect storm, as I say. Do you recall any Taylor Swift being played in the locker room? Could we have seen this coming? <laughs> no, man, that, that that's wild. That's, uh, you know, I, I get to hang out with some really cool people um, in some really cool rooms, and that's even a little out of my league. That's like, that's a that's a worldwide <laughs> superstar. Like, that's, that's insane. You're not going to be shirtless with uh, Jason Kelsey at the AFC Championship game at the, the box suite or anything? No, I actually went to, uh, I went to one game on Travis's and I, I know you remember Parker. Um, Parker started at right guard for the Chiefs his rookie year. Um, Alex Smith was the quarterback and I got to go out and spend time, spend four days with Travis and Parker out in Kansas City and kind of see how they live. And even then, man, like just to see how much people idolize Travis was kind of like kind of the first time where I was like, all right, there's a peer of mine that is really doing some insane stuff like he he's a superstar. And that was kind of the first time, you know, we're, we're at a barbecue joint in Kansas City and Parker's six foot eight, 325 pounds, just a Shrek looking mongrel. And all of a sudden, no one pays attention to Parker. It's literally all about Travis. Pictures with the babies, autographs, let me pay for your food. And that, that was kind of the first time where I'm like, man, this is, this is real. Travis is a superstar. All right. So to pull this thing full circle. Uh, starting as the the kid with the armpit hair at St. Bart's in the third grade and uh, chest hair in the fourth grade, going from big time recruit as a you know someone that was supposed to be one of the faces of Cincinnati Bearcats football in the Big East, uh, getting recruited by Butch Jones, seeing your football career cut short by injuries and just really not uh, being one thousand percent, I guess, mentally invested in the game until it was too late. Yeah. Uh, modeling career into the fitness career. Was there ever that moment where it was like, I don't know if I can keep up with this lifestyle anymore? A lot, man. I mean, I was. I don't know if you guys remember, but I I got made fun of a lot, and you know, I you run from it as a kid, but I'm an emotional dude. You know, I, I like I like when people can gain something from my struggle. And I like helping people and I always have. I've always got along with people and there were some really, 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 really low times when football ended and, you know, I start Savage Fitness and people are giving me shit for that. So, um, you know, every day there's 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 always there's always reasons to stop what you're doing and give up on things when they're really, really hard because, you know, I lost my gym in COVID. COVID hit, um, lost clients, had a huge bill um, to foot and. Yeah, and there's times still with contrast that it's the hardest thing I've ever done. But, you know, I say a lot of times, and it's not like a Goggins quote, but, you know, live full and die empty, man. Like life is meant to be lived and struggle is also, I think, uh, the best learning tool that you can ever have. I just think it's worth, I think it's worth, you owe it to yourself to to truly do everything you can with every second minute you got or, you know, don't give a shit and drink Budweiser's every night. You know, you can go ahead and call it in, call it quits, but... You know, as long as I got some breath in my lungs, I got some shit to do and I got some people to help. So when you focus on the task at hand and the people that are depending on you and, you know, I got now, God, 35, 40 employees. So, you know, there's people that really do depend on my actions, my mindset and, you know, my consistency. So if I give up, I'm I'm leaving a lot of people hungry at night. So if you're not failing, you're not moving forward. Quote of the day. If you're not failing, folks, you're not moving forward. Failure's great. got some all-time quotes just on the Rolodex. I need to start implementing some of that shit because that just fired me up, that that, that uh, little – Just remember that statement when you're going through some shit, gentlemen. And, it, and again, if uh, I respect what you guys are doing, and I love the podcast, and you know, if there's anything I can ever do to help or, um, you know, I love seeing guys do their own thing and what they're passionate about and – I'd rather make less money and, and do what I love every day than be miserable. And I don't really understand when people bring things to me at a mental struggle level and they say they're miserable, but they're not willing to change everything. And the dollars at the end of the day don't equate to happiness, man. So, you know, I'm making more money than I ever have in my life right now, but I still feel like the same 20, 21-year-old kid with a lot of doubts and a lot of struggles. So it, it is what it is. Focus on what you do, not what you make. No doubt about it. Thanks for coming on. That's Patrick Coyne. Um, check out the location. Give me the exact location of Contrast Studio. Contrast is right by Carlo and Johnny in Montgomery. And there's six individual rooms. It's a private room where you can get in a sauna and a cold sub. And Houdini, I will hold you to that. And Chuck, 
we didn't get to have our cold tub conversations because you were making some egregious statements um, that I'm willing to combat. But uh, I'd love to have you guys in. Love to have you guys try it out. Um, our second location is, is in Anderson um, that we are opening Shift Star Construction in the next 90 days. It'll be by the Kroger, Starbucks, and AMC and Crunch. And then we're opening up the third one in Hyde Park right next to Kroger and the Hyde Park Shopping Plaza. That'll have eight rooms. All right, brother. Perfect. My girlfriend is going to make me go. So regardless of if I want, I'm scared of the cold tub, man. I'm fucking scared of it. I'll be honest. My chain. Here, why don't don't, I'll I'll be there? Why don't we do it together? All right. All right. Let me leave Chuck. I'll 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 leave you with a tidbit. All right. All right, Chuck. I'll leave you why you why you in with cold, not hot. All right. So you start with hot because it's a vasodilator. It opens up your blood vessels. It makes you loose and limber. There's a cardiopic effects. There's the reduce reduction of mortality, and you can't deny that you are going to have a 50% decrease risk of death in cardiovascular disease if you sign at 57 minutes a week. So that's why we have the tagline of 57 and 11. When you get from the sign of the cold tub, you can't get back in because what happens is a thing called thermogenesis. So what you're talking about, and I'm combating, I got your back, Houdini is when you have cold water on your face, what cold water does and why you shiver, we have things called brown fat. The most of it is underneath our clavicles and our collarbone and our vagus nerve is in our neck. So when the water hits your neck, your face and your collarbones, it puts you into basically a state of shock. What you're doing when you warm your body back up is that shaking and everything is actually the nervous system regulating itself and bringing it back down. You're actually making new neurotransmitter connections in your brain that you can regulate stress much better because you're doing it by choice. So the struggle of choice that you're dealing with is because you don't want to do it. The feeling afterwards that you feel like a sociopath is the endorphin norepinephrine rush and adrenaline rush that you get. So if you warm your body up naturally, you're getting out of thermogenesis and basically undoing all the things the cold just did. Say hypothetically that if we were all to do cocaine, cocaine lasts 45 minutes of an adrenaline norepinephrine rush. That's what it is. It's a high, right? The cold plunge is giving you a seven and a half hour up. So you are actually that much more focused, not because you feel more focused, but because of the combination between the hot and the cold has you 10 times more alert than you ever have. And it's in a seven and a half hour natural rush versus an external thing like caffeine, a bad substance like a drug or anything that it could do. So it's a natural way that your body can regulate itself and gain more energy. Love that. It's all, all natural right. cocaine folks. Uh, that's how we end it. Patrick coin. <laughs> appreciate you coming on today. Best of luck with everything you're doing. And um, we appreciate you in advance for helping us get McConaughey on. Have a good night. Have a good night. Thanks, man. That's the show today. The Chatter with Chuck and Houdini. Thanks to Pat Coyne for joining. We will see you next time.